Hello, everybody, and welcome. It does not take long before you sit on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or somewhere and you get into this conversation. You see a political post and we read the comment section. We all know what happens in that comment section, right? We are maybe not the best, if I can put it that way, at having civil dialogue on very polarizing, difficult, controversial topics. And so that is what today's show is gonna be focused on. Today's conversation with Dr. Tim Muehlhoff, who is here, a professor of communications at Biola University. He's also a speaker and research consultant at the Center for Marriage and Relationships, and now is the co-director of what's called the Winsome Conviction Project. He is the author of this book, Winsome Conviction, Disagreeing Without Dividing the Church, as well as this book, Winsome Persuasion, Christian Influence in a Post-Christian Culture. And by the way, we are going to be giving away these two books to two lucky winners. One from the Instagram, uh, Instagram kind of giveaway that I did, as well as to someone who is watching here live at the end of today's conversation. So stay tuned. Be ready for that. We're going to be giving away some of these books. But Dr. Muehlhoff, thank you for coming on the show and joining me today. Well, my pleasure, Ryan. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you start off in your book uh, talking about how we can disagree without dividing the church, but then you bring up some of like the most divisive convert, you know, comments that have been made, I think. You know, the first three sentences of your book say, Trump should be removed from office, or I won't feed into the mass hysteria nor scare my own children by wearing a mask, or comments like, sure, racism, ex racism exists, but the idea of syst systemic racism is fake news. Are you kind of just trying to start fights here from the very beginning? <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, Ryan, what happened was, as we were writing the book, we kept rewriting the introduction. Hmm. Like, like we had our introduction, obviously it's gonna be the election, right? And yeah. then uh, we got to COVID. And then we got to the murder of George Floyd. So literally we re rewrote the introduction four different times. So everything that you're reading in that introduction is a quote from an essay by Mark Galley about President Trump should be impeached. He was the former editor of Christianity Today. Uh, actual comments from people in my church, I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to feed yeah. into this mass hysteria. And then, you know, the race issue has been on everybody's minds. And so, yeah, no, this is, these are the comments that we've been hearing, and we're not unique. Everybody's wrestling with these issues today. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully there's, I mean... There's ways to go about having these conversations in a civil way, right? There is some hope for us, and what we see doesn't have to be happening all the time. Well, let me start with a quote. Uh, I like to do martial arts. I've been doing martial arts for the last seven years. And so you're a, used to fighting. No. <laughs> I'm used to fighting. Yeah, stability <laughs> doesn't work. Let's get into Krav Maga. Um, so there's a saying from the founder of modern karate, spirit precedes technique. He meant you have to have the warrior spirit before you can actually fight. But we've kind of taken that at the Winsome Conviction Project and Christianized it. it Ryan, if we don't have Jesus' spirit, if we don't have the Holy Spirit, then it doesn't matter techniques on how to resolve conflict. We're going to throw those out the window the minute our hot buttons get pushed. So we really believe in the Winsome Conviction Project that we need to go back to spiritual formation and ask the question about intellectual humility, the fruits of the spirit, those need to be in place long before we have conversations about potentially volatile topics. 
Yeah. Now, I, I think it's so important that we, you know, talking about this and having this humility, at the same time, we are very convicted of things or we're very convinced of things. We have these strong held convictions. And so maybe if we can kind of talk a little bit about like, how do we have humility about something that we are also very convicted of, something that is clearly taught in scripture? Well, one thing that has really helped us is obviously the works of C.S. Lewis and I would say G.K. Chesterton. But remember, Lewis had this great analogy about a hallway of faith. Uh, the hallway is what orthodox uh, evangelicals would believe. The hallway should be very narrow, right? The hallway should be salvation is found in Christ alone. Jesus rose bodily from the grave. Uh, the inspiration and errancy of scripture, right? That's the hallway. But then you have rooms off the hallway. And the rooms off the hallway can be Calvinism, Arminianism complementarianism, egalitarianism. Um, it could be uh, different views of critical race theory. It could be election. Like how do we vote in an election? I would say is a room off the hallway. So yes, we have convictions about the hallway, but we need to have a little bit of humility when it comes to classic disagreements among Christians like egalitarianism, complementarianism, eschatological issues. Uh, I would say even the age of the earth, those kind of things, that's, but Ryan, nobody wants to do that. Nobody just wants my personal conviction to be a room off the hallway. Hmm. I want to get that into the hallway. So let me, let me give one illustration we use yeah. in the book. So complementarians, egalitarians, right? They both use the scripture. Uh, complementarians argue that based on Ephesians chapter five, the man is the head of the household. Egalitarians would argue in mutual submission. Okay, so but that's those are two rooms off the hallway. But uh, often complementarians will say, but is the Trinity the hallway? And I would say, yes, the Trinity is the hallway. Well, they make the argument that egalitarians are trying to undermine the Trinity. See what they just did? They weaponize their belief. And now egalitarianism is an attack on something in the hallway. Thus, we get rid of egalitarianism. And yeah. we just reject that. It's kind of hard to make that argument, Ryan, when you're at Biola University and you have the top egalitarian theologian in the world teaches at Biola University, a man who loves Jesus, has a great marriage. Now, we might disagree with each other on headship, yeah. but listen, there's no doubt that man loves the Lord and knows the Greek up, down, back around again. That's why we need to have a little bit of intellectual humility, although I would define myself as a soft complementarian. But, but knowing that Ron Pierce is there makes me humble. Yeah. So I think this is really good. And, and this is what we want to kind of have in this conversation today. And if you're listening live, you can send in any comments in the live chat of, of maybe topics that you want to kind of hear some thoughts about as we kind of think through how we have better conversations. But as you shared that, the, kind of the first question I came that came to mind was, how do you go about then having a conversation with someone who takes these things that are kind of these side rooms and puts them as part of the hallway. So a common thing that I deal with is the age of the earth. And, you know, and so I have these kind of conversations and I frequently hear comments like, well, if you accept an old earth or if you accept any sort of death before the fall, you undermine the, you know, death of Jesus, you undermine the doctrine of original sin. And now you're undermining all these central core tenets of the faith. And so how do you go about having a conversation with someone who sees these maybe secondary issues as being part of that main hallway as you described? Well, my goodness, Ryan, that is the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
<laughs> no, but seriously, yeah. that is going to be a, so. If you tell me that the person I'm about to talk to has studied the Word, feels affirmed by the Holy Spirit in his position, and he takes a young Earth position, okay, that's not my position, okay, but he takes it, feels affirmed by the Scriptures feels that not taking it does great harm to the church and feels affirmed by the Holy Spirit. Well, Ryan, this is not a quick conversation. Yeah. Right. This is going to be, so this is where absolutely it has to be spirit proceeds technique because you and I both know that conversation is going to be a disaster if we both walk into it ready to go. Right. Where does the book of Proverbs say an offended brother is like a fortified city. So there's a lot of prep work that needs to be done. And then when we get into the conversation, we need to have a spirit of humility. What does Paul say? Protect unity at all costs. And now we're going to invite each other into each other's perspectives. In other words, Aristotle's method of the dialectic, which means after our conversation, which could take months, I can do your position in a way with enough passion and integrity that this young, uh, young earth person would look at me and say, that's my argument. Thank you. With all the passion, you got the, because sometimes Ryan, we just forget the emotive part of it. Mm -hmm. And and we know that causes conflict. If I don't mirror your emotions, then I'm kind of demeaning what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I need to present your view with passion. And then for you to step in and say, okay, that's my position. Now you do my position. Now we seek to find common ground. Where's our areas of agreement as we move towards disagreement? How long would that take? Ryan, I suspect that's not one conversation. There's no way that's one conversation. That's going to be a lot of conversations over a long period of time with a lot of prayer, fasting, asking other people to pray for us because we're dear brothers and we really disagree with each other. Yeah. So, you know, London Theus, thank you for being here. He commented in here really quick and was wondering, uh, would you put the subject of hell being a side room or part of the main hallway? How would you kind of go about, you know, specifically like maybe annihilationism, traditional view? How do we have these sort of conversations? Okay, this would be a really good time for me to say the views represented here do not necessarily represent those of Biola University. Because, listen, we're going to have a robust conversation of what the hallway is. Right. I'm going to keep that hallway really small. So this is mm-hmm. my personal opinion, Ryan. I think judgment, God's judgment, is the hallway. And that judgment is based on what do you do with the person of Jesus Christ. That's the hallway. Whether hell is eternal or whether God in his mercy decides to um, annihilate hell and the souls that are in it, I'm going to say that's a room off the hallway. Now, let me say one thing very clear. That doesn't mean you can't be convicted about your view. At Biola University, I sign a doctrinal statement every year, and we believe in an eternal hell. Okay? So it doesn't mean that my brothers and sisters who don't believe in that aren't Christians. Oh my gosh, they are. Think of John Stott, right? Yeah. One of the forerunners of annihilation, uh, this idea. So I'm going to say, you can't teach at Biola. And by the way, we, we don't make apologies for that. We take a position, but I better speak with love and humility 
towards my brothers and sisters who land, who, who land that plane differently. Can I give you a great example of this? So J.P. Moreland and I wrote a book together called The God Conversation. Right. He's one of my academic mentors. He has a book called Beyond Immortality, where he writes a chapter on hell and takes the view that hell is eternal. But Ryan, he has this great paragraph where he mentions Christian theologians and philosophers who believe in annihilationism and that the caring respectful way that he talks about them as he disagrees with them that is a model for all of us so yes i think it's a room off the hallway right um not god's judgment that i think that's part of the hallway found in the person of jesus christ but but will hell be eternal or not i'm gonna say that's a room off the hallway i think that's good not at not at bio university and that's okay it's okay for theologians and churches and universities to land the plane, but with humility, look at a John Stott and say, but I have a dear brother who, my goodness, is one of the greatest lay theologians we've ever seen, and I'm, I'm going to be a little bit humble that John Stott allowed for the possibility of annihilationism. Yeah. Well, before I get you into any more trouble talking about these uh, <laughs> specific doctrines, <laughs> let's take a step back. Uh, because here in the book, you you, you answer this question, uh, or you ask this question of what is the greatest threat to the Church of Jesus Christ today? And we often see that as being CRT or Black Lives Matter or mass in churches and COVID or all these different issues of who's going to be our political president. Would you see these as being the greatest threat to the church? Or how would you answer the question, what is the greatest threat to the Church of Jesus Christ today? Okay, so let me answer this in kind of a weird way. Ryan, you and I were talking about marriage before we even started. So if you came up to me and a couple said, Okay, what's the greatest threat to our marriage? Is it finances? Is it like raising the kids? Is it uh, um, homeschooling or public school? I would say the research is absolutely clear. The greatest threat to your marriage is your inability to talk about those issues. Hmm. If you can talk about finances and have a different uh, perspective, like a saver versus a spender, research shows you're going to probably get through those struggles. But the great John Gottman, one of the greatest marital researchers, says when you lose the ability to communicate with each other, that marriage is in crisis. I'd say the exact same thing about the church, Ryan. It's not critical race theory. It's not postmodernism. It's not who did you vote for. When we lose the ability to talk to each other, that's the greatest threat. Now, the New Testament calls this quarreling. And it's amazing how many times quarreling comes up in the New Testament. So think of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. He starts off by saying, you are holy people called. And then literally six or seven verses later, he said, and I hear that there's quarreling among you. Hmm. So Ryan, if we lose the ability to talk to each other as Christians, then I think that is one of the greatest threats uh, to the church because we, we will splinter and fracture. And not only will we lose our political voice, our theological voice, but Satan will have won a great victory. Because remember, back in the garden, his primary attack on Adam and Eve was to separate them psychologically. Many theologians believed Adam was fully present during the tempting. Because remember that interesting verse where it says, and she ate of the fruit and gave it to her husband who was with her. So many theologians believe Adam was there, but that psychologically they were separated. And that is what Satan wants to do to the church. 
psychologically separate us so we don't talk to each other. And now it's easy pickings to uh, cause disunity. Yeah. And I think it's important, as you've pointed out, is like it's not to say that those topics like, you know, finances and, and whatnot, that they're not important. Right. But it's right. how do we go about talking about these? And you mentioned in the book of how, like, this is the same problem that has existed since like the history of the church, since the New Testament. Like there's nothing new about the church fighting and dividing over controversial issues. Yes, important issues. But how do we go about talking about them that is so important? Now, another kind of preliminary thing you, you mentioned here that, and what we're kind of focusing on on this conversation. Again, your, your previous book talks about how to impact kind of the culture, how to take the Christian view kind of into the post-Christian culture versus this most recent one that we're talking about today is disagreeing without dividing the churches. Why is it so much harder to discuss these issues inside the church than it is out in the culture with non-believers in the public square? Yeah, I tell you what, give me a good old-fashioned conversation with a non-Christian any day of the week than with a, a Christian, a disagreement with a Christian. Why, Ryan? Because as Christians, we do something really interesting. We have what we call a trump card. And the trump card is, if you and I have a disagreement, Ryan, I say this to you. Well, clearly, the Bible says this. And that's like, drop the mic moment, yeah. right? So with non-Christians, we don't have that reference point. We're not having a disagreement over the scripture, nor are we having a disagreement over how I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading me in contrast to how the Holy Spirit is, seems to be leading you. So I think it's much more uh, complex because we're going to have to deal with the Bible and we're going to have to wrestle with the fact that good Christians have really different interpretations of what the Bible says or... We kind of agree what it says, but we prioritize it differently. So when Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, we disagree on what the priority is within the kingdom of God. And any one of those is really fertile ground for disagreements. I think that's so huge. And maybe if this is what you're saying is what I have experienced is where Christians and kind of... I always talk about this because I try to push against this idea is where we make our interpretation of scripture, scripture itself. Yes. And so this is what God said. You are disagreeing with God. And then it's like in a conversation between me and you on a theological discussion, like the age of the earth or the nature of hell or something is like, it's, it seems like a no win situation. Well then, well, what can I say? I'm disagreeing with God and clearly God's right. But I'm I'm not disagreeing with God. I'm trying. I'm disagreeing with your interpretation of what God said. And and how do we how do we get back to that part of the conversation of recognizing us and our kind of I guess you said earlier humility in, in our approach and our interpretation of Scripture. Well, this is the beauty of integration. This is the beauty of taking communication theory and the Book of Proverbs and bringing it together to uh, shape our disagreement. So let, let me make this personal. All my seminary education is at a reformed seminary. I have half a MA in biblical studies. I am not reformed. I love my time at reformed seminary. I loved my professors, but the more I studied the scriptures, the more I, I'm just not reformed. I'm not a Calvinist, okay? Now, I was on the debate team in college and I did stand-up comedy, okay? So that, that is a horrible combination if you're disagreeing <laughs> with me. So winsome conviction does not mean that I can't be convicted on this standpoint, right? Ryan, I absolutely believe Arminianism carries the day. I'll take that, I'll take that biblical debate any day of the week, 
okay, from a debate. I I'm almost like itching for it, right? <laughs> but my goodness, I'm at Biola University with some of the top-notch Reformed theologians in the country, and I studied Calvin. I, I read his Institutes. I read, read Luther's Bondage of the Will. I read John Owen. I read Burkhoff. These are giants of the faith. That's why I go to bed every night with C.S. Lewis tucked under my pillow. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, but that's what I'm talking about is, is there, is there a switch within me that's kind of like the pit bull switch that I want to go right after my Calvinist brothers and sisters? Yeah. But, but I, that, now this is the spirit precedes technique. You know what I mean? Do I just throw out what the book of Proverbs says? That a harsh word stirs up anger? and a gentle word turns away wrath? Do, do I just throw these things away? Do I throw away what Peter says to sum up, let all be harmonious, kind-hearted, brotherly, right? That's a spirit issue, because I'm ready to go to bat on the debate, but that's the technique part. So Ryan, this is where the Winsome Conviction Project, we feel like we gotta go back to spiritual formation and we, we have to be spirit-filled as we have these conversations. Or the stand-up comic's going to come out in a heartbeat, and the debater is going to come out in a heartbeat. Once you trip my wire, I'm going to come out swinging rhetorically, and that's what we've got to do. So I'm not saying to your listeners, you can't have a biblical opinion and actually think you're right. I'm just saying have a – I think – so let me, make a, let me make a controversial statement, Ryan. Yeah. Okay? You have to be pretty – uneducated not to understand the huge debate there is between Calvinism and Arminianism and how there's giants of the faith on both sides and add to that egalitarianism complementarianism add to that eschatological views and you have giants so if a person comes up to me and says well the Word of God is just so clear on this issue I want to say wow how much reading have you done on the other side. I think yeah. that's a tip off that you've not. My goodness, that's a tip off that you've not if you've not wrestled with the giants of the faith that and so that leads me to an interesting thing, Ryan. Why would God allow this? We know he can lock it down when he wants to, right? In scripture, uh, Jesus being God, salvation found in Christ alone, right? But then why why was Romans 9, 10, and 11 written in such a way that you get the giants of the faith reading it and coming up with diametrically opposed interpretations, and they know the Greek better than we could ever hope, and these men and women of God read it, study it, pray over it, and feel led in different directions? Why would God do that? I think because he wanted to be ambiguous in certain areas and have us wrestle with scripture and wrestle with each other as these disagreements would arise. That's a, yeah, that's very interesting because, you know, on the clear stuff, it's like we don't have to come together, but to be able to come together and to really have thought out conversations forces us to go deeper into God's word and study issues that we may not have studied before. Yeah. So, um, all right, I want to, I want to maybe, I want to try something. I'm going to maybe push your buttons a little bit, uh, bring up something controversial, and I want to see how you respond. We're going to put this to into, into practice. All right, you, are you ready for this? Okay. <laughs> I have not seen this. I just want your listeners to know I have not seen this. <laughs> I warned him a video was coming, but I did not tell him what it was. So here is the yeah. video. 
good. A right by Wah. He connects on another right. Another right by Wah. Another right by Wah. The sweater Osgood's coming off. Wah drives him back to midnight. A right by Wah. He connects it. Another right by Wah. Another right. Uppercut by Wah. A right by Wah. A right by Wah. An uppercut. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, on this video here? So it's like a theologian saying, I'm just reading scripture, to which my response is, yeah, but you're not reading all of scripture, <laughs> right? So Ryan, you know, there are other video clips that we could show <laughs> of your beloved Patrick Waugh holding his mitt up in the air, thinking he has the puck, and he doesn't, and Brendan Shanahan poking that thing in and knocking the Colorado Avalanche out of the Stanley uh, Cup playoffs that year. I don't remember that video. I'm not quite sure. I, no. bet, <laughs> I bet you do not remember that video. For those who are confused, uh, let me preface this here really quick. <laughs> Dr. Tim Muehlhoff is a diehard Red Wings, Detroit Red Wings fan. And I, as you know, if you listen to my show, I'm a diehard Colorado Avalanche fan. And we were actually put into contact by a fellow hockey fan um, who uh, really said, well, look, you guys are going to have to put your differences aside in order to work together. Because there, is, there used to be, back in the 90s, this heated rivalry between the Red Wings and the Avalanche. My goodness, that was back in like 96. I was oh, like yeah. eight years old and we would watch yeah. these games where Wah and Oz would go at it. And it was funny because the, the day I emailed uh, Dr. Muhoff for this interview, uh, he said in one of his podcasts that he was happy when the Colorado Avalanche goalie Patrick Wah retired. He celebrated the retirement. I went, we are going to have to put some things beside us, behind us, and have some civility in the conversation just between me and you. <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, the day he retired, I went to the grocery store, to the baking section, and had them make a cake that said, Patrick Waugh retires, and I brought it home to the family, and my wife said, I beg you to get help. I beg <laughs> you to get help. Oh, no, the Colorado thing is for real, man. Yeah. That, that, those were some nasty, and now what's so sad is Colorado's a good team and Detroit's, we're horrible. I mean, we are well, Unfortunately, we're good enough to win the President's Cup, but then we lose in the second round of the playoffs. But anyways, you know, I, I will be doing my uh, my drawing out of my Colorado Avalanche oh, hat here. And so, Lord. and then right out of screen, you can't see is my, you know, I can pull it up for everybody else. There's my, there's my Nathan McKinnon right there sitting on my shelf, you know, overseeing everything that we're doing here. But anyways, yes, drawing for the books at the end. All right, let's get back on topic. I think uh, that was, I just wanted to show you that because that was, man, that was a fight right there. Um, talk about not throwing punches. How do we have better conversations? Uh, it's, it's it's not what we're seeing in sports today. My goodness, kind of a little sidetrack. Like how many videos are popping up online of like fans in the stands, like fighting each other at games? It's just... No. You know, it's not just happening on social media. Um, so you talk about in the book um, kind of principles for dealing with conflict. And one of these principles that you bring up is distinguishing how personal convictions from moral absolutes and matters of taste. Can you kind of speak into this a little bit and how this can help uh, deal with conflict that we're having? Well, so we would say um, when we use the word moral absolutes, we're talking about confessional beliefs. We're talking about the church universal, right? Where we get up and we confess that Jesus is God, many of the things we've said, right? These are confessional beliefs that if you don't believe this, there's no debate. You're not an evangelical. It's fine for you to leave the evangelical camp, 
But to be in the camp, we have certain confessional beliefs. And that is, right, uh, the Bible is inspired and inerrant. Salvation is found in Christ alone. Um, the Trinity, all, all those kind of things. Now, outside of that are what we call matters of taste. Now, do not think that we're minimizing that. When Paul in Romans 14 talks about Jews and Gentiles coming together, you could not pick a more relevant topic than Jews leaving Judaism, becoming a Christian, and saying to the Gentiles, listen, days and diets, you have got to observe these days and diets. And the Gentile believers are saying, no, we don't have to. And Paul steps in and he says, I'm going to give wiggle room on this which that must have been crushing to the Jewish believers, right? You're telling me to turn my back on Judaism? And Paul's saying, no, 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 you can be convicted, but the other people can be convicted as well. And we have to live with that tension. And Ryan, the reason we wrote the book, Winsome Conviction, is people are not willing to live with the tension today. Hmm. It's like either you adopt my perspective or you have to leave the church, Right. So that's where we're at today. So we, we, we were working with one church over Black Lives Matter. They wanted to put a, a banner up that said Black Lives Matter. The other uh, what leaders said, well, can we at least put another banner up that said All Lives Matter? And, and they, it almost divided the church. Mm-hmm. So we're saying, can you, can you believe race is important? and find different ways of navigating it that both sides can live with each other. They don't have to agree with each other. And I think that's the important thing is, is as I was reading that that aspect or that part of the book and thinking about like this idea when our personal convictions or our matters of taste, our preferences do line up with moral absolutes, right? So we have a moral absolute of racism being wrong, but then we have different perspectives of how much is taking place in our culture. And we have different perspectives on the right way to go about it. So how can, you know, do you have a few kind of tips on what we can do as Christians to have better conversations on, for example, what you mentioned, Black Lives Matter or critical race theory, where we recognize and we agree on the moral absolute behind it, but we have different perspectives on how how it's inf- impacting us or the culture and and what we need to do about the issue. Yeah. Um, and again, some of this is me re- reiterating myself, but we have to start with spirit first. Yeah. So even before we get to the absolutes, uh, what, what did John Calvin say? Every time the church gets together, we should have Holy communion. Every time. If you have two services on Sunday, you have communion. If you go in the morning and go in the evening, you, you take communion twice that day. Um, he believed that when that wine was on your tongue and the wafer was on your tongue, how could you then have an issue with your brother, have a bad attitude when you were literally taking in the blood of Jesus and taking in uh, the bread that symbolizes his body, the wine or grape juice that symbolizes his blood? I think Calvin's brilliant on that point. Then I think we come together and say, what are the absolutes? Most churches have this. They have a doctrinal statement. Biola University has a doctrinal statement. Guess what? You can be convicted. You, you can uh, be a person of integrity. You can love the Lord. But if you can't sign our doctrinal statement, you cannot teach at Biola University. Okay? So once we get the agreements, we celebrate those agreements. Now we have communion again. And now we sit down and say, what are some other things we agree on? Is Jesus concerned about race? Absolutely, he's concerned about race, right? Does Jesus want us to deal with racial injustice? 
I think the answer is absolutely he would want us to deal with racial injustice, right? The marginalized, the oppressed of the, of the New Testament and the Old Testament. But now we get to critical race theory. Can critical race theory help us understand the structural antecedents of racism? Can it help us understand how people may not be racist, but they're being brought up in a racist system? Is it worth it to borrow from critical race theory? And of course, be on the lookout for parts that go against scripture. Or another group might say, but can we get there without using critical race theory? Because we think it's, it's like poison fruit. Now we take communion again. We then come up with Ryan. Here, we're going to have a conversation. Let's come up with the rules of our conversation. Let's actually have a person write them down. How do we want this conversation to proceed? We, Ryan, I do this every semester in all my classes. We come up with class norms. And then whenever we work with pastors, the first thing we do is we sit down and say, how do you want this conversation to proceed? One guy will say, I, I don't want to be interrupted when I speak. Awesome. Write that down. Uh, I, hey, let's keep the volume down. Great idea. Let's do that. Then we take those. We literally post them. Then when the volume gets raised, we go, hey, can we just for a second take a look at number three? And let's try to hold to the... Now, we can change the norms, but do we want to keep yeah. the norms? To me, that structure is really important, but everybody's going to punt the structure if we haven't done the spirit hard work ahead of time. Now, what does it look like when um, these conversations are not happening you know, in person where you can kind of lay down the rules and you can have these kind of preliminary conversations, but it's it's in a Facebook post. It's it's on a social media post. Like, are you, would you suggest like just stay away from all social media conversations on this? Or do we just post our thought and leave it and not respond? Or, or how do we go about having a better conversations with fellow believers and even non-believers uh, on social media? Well, we are not in favor of just punting social media. Uh, I agree with Secretary Clinton. Uh, the internet has become the new public square. So we've got to learn how to negotiate it. So we're actually, October 2nd at Biola University, we are going to do a conference on redeeming social media. And we're going to bring in communication scholars. So and we'll actually be Zooming that out. So be checking on that uh, October 2nd. So Ryan, here's what I would say. So if I have two pastors who are locked in conversation with each other and they really disagree with about an issue, I would say, listen, all the progress that we could make together will be undone if you go out and talk to another person and just kind of let it rip a little bit because you were kind of frustrated during that time, but you wanted to follow the norms that you had created. But you grab a person, you say, hey, this is just between you and me, right? That other person's whacked. Like that was crazy when they said this and the Bible doesn't say that. And right now, if it gets out, from that other person, you, you have destroyed the trust of the communication climate between you and that person. So here, I would say to those two pastors, do not be talking to people outside this room. This is between you, the other pastor, and me, and nothing goes outside this room. That, that's one of our norms. What's said here stays here. So here's what we do. We lead that conversation and we go post something on whatever social media platform. You have completely wiped away the trust that was developed between the two individuals. 
So I would say to anybody who wants to make headway between you and another person or groups, you cannot be posting on social media. The only thing you can post on social media is the positives about the other person. Hmm. Maybe I'll grant you that. But Ryan, this is not rocket science. If you and I are having a personal conversation trying to really make headway with each other, and you're talking to people outside of this, and it gets back to me, that's how you characterized our conversation. Right. Our, we're done. I don't care if that's electronically or person to person. So we have got to have that trust part of the communication climate. And a lot of times we just don't trust each other. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads into what I was kind of thinking about as you just said that is we often don't trust each other and and how much perception of the other person changes how we communicate with them. Uh, so yeah. kind of maybe if there's more that you can speak into, because I know there's a lot of things that kind of overlap in our conversation that we're happening or that we're having. But um, if there's other ways in which we can kind of take that step back and realize our perception of the person person and how that influences how we communicate with them. Oh, Ryan, my goodness, this should be, we should have a sleepover. We could do this <laughs> all day because, again, that's why we wrote two books about this. Yeah. Okay, so again, we're getting back to the antecedent stuff, Ryan. Again, again, a couple comes up to me at a marriage conference, okay? And they say, every time we talk about finances, we get into an argument. I say, there's no magic technique. Right. If your attitude is bad towards each other, then when you talk about finances, no, you're going to be right. So you've got to deal with the inward feelings you have towards your spouse before you ever get to uh, finances. Hmm. That, that is absolutely true of all disagreements. So you're right. My perception of you bleeds into the relationship. So the cool thing about being at Biola is we have access to psychologists. Um, researchers. And so let me introduce you to a concept we explore in the book. And even in our podcast, the Winsome Conviction podcast, we do a whole episode on this. It's called emotional contagion, which means this. All right. So you place these limits on me. Okay, Ryan, you say when you and I are having a disagreement, I can't talk to anybody else. Right? Great rule. But I make this one interesting compromise. My internal conversation, I can let it rip. Right? Because I'm not talking to anybody else and I'm not saying it directly to you, but internally, I'm, I'm thinking every negative bad thing about you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. We call that emotional contagion. That's Daniel Goleman. He said, you catch it just like you do uh, the flu. Okay, so let me mention one interesting study that showed this. So you go and listen to a speaker and you rate the speaker. Okay, when, when you're done rating the speaker, we're both there. You don't know that I'm in on the study. You think I'm just another participant. We go to a waiting room for five minutes and you were, we're both told um, you can't talk to each other. You can just sit there for five minutes, okay? You're not in on the study. I've been told I am to have continually negative thoughts towards the speaker. I just can't verbalize it to you, okay? After five minutes, you're brought back into the room. They say, hey, we just want you to re-rate the speaker. You're not gonna listen to the speaker again, we just want you to, it's only been five minutes, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Do you know 70% of people lowered their score of the speaker having sat in a room with a person who just thought negative thoughts about the speaker? 
that's emotional contagion. Wow. So if I walk into this conversation, Ryan, thinking I'm not talking to anybody, but I think I think you're crazy, man. What you're saying is dangerous to the church. I I hate what you're saying, and I don't think you know what you're talking about. I'm not going to say any of that. Daniel Goleman, emotional contagion, that has already bled into the conversation. We we use the um, slang, I get a good vibe from you, I get a bad vibe from you, okay? You have poisoned the conversation because your internal dialogue, you, you were insulting me, thinking negative thoughts. Do you see why we have to get back to spiritual formation? That's yeah. a heart issue. Absolutely. That's not a communication technique. That's a hard issue. Yeah. And that begins before we ever have those conversations. Now, in the book, you share a very fascinating, interesting story kind of along these lines. And again, this is not, as you say this in the book, it's not true of all pro-lifers. It's not true of all Christians. Right. But you share the story of when you went to a pro-choice event, trying to learn what they were saying, how they were saying it, kind of what their perspective was. And you come out the door and you face kind of, well, an interesting circumstance. Can you maybe just talk, tell a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah, I was doing my master's and um, on perspective taking, that my master's literally focused on learning to take the perspective of another person. Mm -hmm. So a friend of mine, Sam, we learned of this pro-choice rally. And uh, one of us made the comment, I think it was him, that was like, I, I wish I was a, a fly on the wall to hear what they're saying. And I was like, let's go. I mean, let's go. Why not hear yeah. what they have to say? So we go, let me make two points real quickly. One, I cannot believe how many people were angry at me and Sam for even going. Wow. Like they were like, what are you doing? Like, like you're condoning that event. And Ryan, I could not disagree more. We were going to learn first person from this group. That's, that's Aristotle's method of the dialectic, okay? So because we registered really late, we just happened to be sitting in the back of the ballroom. So when we left, we were the first people to leave, literally the first people. As we walk out, a group, a pro-life group has lined, there was only one exit, they lined the sidewalk. And again, not all of them were like this, but the group that confronted us were screaming at us, um, calling us murderers. How dare you as a man support women who are gonna murder their babies? Um, and, and I couldn't, I, I have not felt that kind of heat, emotional heat, I think ever in my life since then. So I went up to him and said, Hey, listen, we're actually Christians. We're actually on staff with campus crusade for Christ. We're just trying to learn what they said, because we thought it'd be good to get it from their perspective and, and foster empathy. Ryan, it did nothing, nothing for these Christians. They were like, how dare you as a Christian walk in there and God's judgment is going to be on you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I need to back away because I'm about to take some signs and whack people with them. Right? <laughs> I was mad. I was mad. But you see what I mean? What, what are we thinking that that's the response? to people who are um, wrestling with this pro-life, pro-choice issue, how, how is that going to make a difference? Here's how they justified it. If one person turns away and changes their mind about abortion, then we are justified. I said, yeah, but what about the, the uh, 500 that you've hardened into their pro-choice perspective? And 
turned them off to the Christian perspective. See, that, that, now we're into Winsome Persuasion, Ryan. That's yeah. our book written for Christians talking to non-Christians. Yeah. So you see what I mean? That, that, that to me, and by the way, we do a whole section on Jesus' table fellowship. Right? Here's what Jesus would have done, Ryan. Okay, this, is, this may be controversial. So imagine you lead that picket line, okay, as a pro-lifer. Uh, you go downtown, and there is Jesus sitting, having fellowship, eating with the organizers of the pro-choice rally. What would be the response of these picketers? I imagine they'd be like the Pharisees and say, Jesus, you can't sit and eat with organizers of a pro-choice rally. And Jesus said, I don't care. I came to seek and save the lost. Are they lost? You better believe they're lost. That's why I'm having fellowship with them. Yeah. I mean, and I think there's so many issues that we can maybe uh, line this up with today. Now, I'm curious in that example of here's what, what would Jesus do? You hear a lot in conversations, or at least I hear a lot in conversations. Well, Jesus called people names. Jesus called them hypocrites and whitewashed tombs, and Jesus flipped over tables. So why can't I call my governor, my president, whoever, a blank or whatever? Jesus called names too. Okay, we deal with this in both books. This is a very common objection. Let me take the easy one first. You're not Jesus. <laughs> you do not have divine prerogatives. You don't get to walk into the temple and overturn tables. You don't get to do that. Jesus gets to do it because he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He gets to, and he knows the hearts of people in the way that we don't. So there's certain things Jesus does he, he, that he doesn't need any justification to do it. Is the Sabbath, can I heal on the Sabbath? Yeah, I'm the creator of the Sabbath. So Ryan, I think there's times Jesus is an example to us, and sometimes it's divine prerogative. He can forgive the sins of people, I can't. So I think that's the easy one. We have to be very careful to say Jesus called them whitewashed tombs, thus that's part of my vocabulary. Now let's take the harder one, that's the Apostle Paul, particularly with the Judaizers, right? Paul seems to take a different rhetorical stance to religious leaders who should know better than he does with people who, who is, are outside the um, Christian community. For example, uh, Acts. We know Paul's stomach is literally turned by idols. When you read the Greek, his stomach is churning because he despises idols. So what does he do when he gets up to speak on Mars Hill? My, my rhetoric students study this. He gets up and he says, men of Athens, I observe your men of worship. You're like, what? Paul, we know what you think of idols. What is that? Well, Paul is trying to persuade them. If he, hmm. if he started, Ryan, by saying, Men of Athens, your idols are an affront to the living God, and you will stand in divine judgment. That is one way he could have gone. Fascinating, Paul didn't go that direction. Now, we do have prophets whose job is to go that direction. Um, and, and I'm not saying that we don't do that. We're not anti-prophetic speech. I just think sometimes we're too quick to do prophetic speech. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's very, very well said. Um, you know, as we kind of look at this, um, 
I'm curious because, you know, this book talking about disagreeing without dividing the church, you, you do mention, though, that there are sometimes kind of worth dividing over. Yeah. Uh, and one of them is separation when there is like heresy being taught. And so I'm kind of curious, what advice would you give to a church on how to go about that separation when someone is believing heretical doctrine or teaching kind of heresy within the church? Well, that to me is the easier one. I, I think there's a tougher one. The easier one is when you go against the hallway, when you go against the church's doctrinal statement or Biola University's doctrinal statement, you are saying, I, I no longer can confess these beliefs. And it's like, okay, we understand that. We're not going to attack you. But listen, you understand that is the hallway, right? So we, you can't teach at this church, right? You, you, and we're not going to give you access to our young people. Now, we're going to give you time to process. But if you land the plane on against these confessional beliefs, we're going to ask you to leave. Yeah. Okay? But, but it doesn't have to be that radical, Ryan. I have a really good friend who left Biola University because he, the more he studied, he could not sign off on our eschatological views. Now, that's not heresy. He just right. couldn't sign off on it. So guess what? He left. And he was, um, I, I don't want to say too much. It was a mutual parting. Yeah. Because Biola has said, of course, we want you to be men and women of the word and of conviction. But if that goes a certain direction, then you can't go against our doctrinal statement. That's been ratified by the board. We've been around 111 years. We're not changing our hallway. So then I think as a person, you can say, you know what? I don't think Biola is for me anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I'll go find a university. By the way, not all university, Christian universities have the same doctrinal statement. Right. They actually vary greatly. So find a place. Now, we're not talking heresy, Ryan, right? We're not talking a heresy that would take you out of the evangelical camp, right? right. That's a decision some have made, deconversion or becoming a progressive Christian. But we're talking about a Christian who loves the Lord and just decides, uh, just decides, I, I can't do this anymore. So I'm going to choose to leave in a way that's peaceful. Yeah, that's what I would say. I think that's very good. Now, as we kind of are getting close to the end of our time, I will ask the question uh, to those who are here live uh, for your chance to win both of these books. Oh, let me put it out of screen, though, because the question is, who is the co-author with Dr. Tim Yulhoff for the book oh, Winsome Persuasion nice. and Winsome Conviction? So the person, the first person in the live chat who writes down the name of the co-author of these two books, as well as is it also the co-director of the Winsome Conviction Project, yes, uh, then you have a chance to win these and I'll ship them out to you here soon. So you can be looking for that. Now, as you kind of, uh, uh, kind of mentioned that, um, I guess that kind of the question is, there's two ways that I want to ask is, is what about in personal relationships? At what point do we personally maybe cut ties with someone? You know, I was, I was speaking at an event this last week and uh, the person asked, like, it was more of a relational aspect of like, this person has done harm to me. Like, at what point am I cutting ties with this? And I'm kind of curious on a belief aspect as well. At what point do we say, look, I'm going to excommunicate you from my life um, versus we need to try to figure out how to seek forgiveness and repair this relationship and get to have better uh, conversations. Well, I, 
boy, cutting off a relationship. I, I would have to be really, I'd have to get a lot of counseling. I'd have to get a lot of input, uh, much prayer, much uh, seeking of the spirit to cut off a relationship. But listen, um, I, know, I know family members who have taken a break because of the election. That during the election season, they chose not to communicate with each other. It, mm. it just ended badly, every conversation. Um, I have some really good friends. We just had to agree we're not talking about the election because yeah. it never went well, right? So I, I could see taking a break. Now, if it's toxic, Ryan, right? If that person is damaging my self-esteem, if I'm even being emotionally abused, then I think you have to have good, healthy boundaries and, and uh, I work at domestic violence shelters here in Orange County, teaching verbal and physical self-defense. And a lot of these women are, are in dangerous relationships where they need to have boundaries and they need to cut off the relationship, yeah. right? So I, I would get a lot of counsel first, um, uh, pastoral counsel, biblical counseling to say, I, I think I need space from this relationship. I'd want to get some expert opinion before I cut off a family member. Yeah, I think that's good. And uh, we do have a winner. There we go. Slam yes. RN. There you go. Congratulations. Richard Langer is the co-author of these two books. And so uh, those will go out in the mail. But I encourage the rest of you. The link is down in the description below if you want to check those out. And here, while we are taking a quick break, and then we'll come in with the last few questions. If you have a last final question, we will do the, uh, the Instagram giveaway from wow. my wonderful Colorado hat. I know you love that one, Tim. Uh, let's see. Which name out of all the Instagram... There we go. Basement boots. Nice. <laughs> there we go. You won. So uh, send me a message and uh, I will get your email or your mailing address Ryan, and send out that to you. Yes. Can you show me the back of that hat? Not the front of it, but the back of it real quick. Oh, that's funny because I have a Detroit Red Wings hat that on the back, we have all 11 of our Stanley Cups. <laughs> so it goes right down the back of it. So it was just weird. I noticed that there wasn't hmm. any. I mean, yeah. I think I'm just going to end this conversation now. Um, just have to cut ties for a second. Maybe there's another season where we can. Don't you edit this, Ryan. Do not edit this. I will be so mad. Oh, let's see. Well, I just won't send the final version to you. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, wow. Okay. This is fun. Um, okay. Now, another kind of question I had along with that is, is what kind of maybe advice would you give to both church leadership as well as maybe church members who are trying to figure out how to respond when someone is leaving the church, when the church is becoming divided maybe, uh, and that separation isn't justified. And so uh, there is that division happening. People are saying, nope, because of X, I'm leaving the church. I can't be with you. And it's like, well, hold on. This is not necessarily a justifiable reason to leave. What do we do there in that kind of situation? Well, I think it's okay to have a family meeting. I think it's fine to have a church meeting to discuss it. But listen, if you're in leadership or you're a teacher, a professor, you are held to a higher standard, right? So you yeah. stand up there and the, that is not the time to hash out private conversations, right? If a person chooses to leave our church, we let them leave. And what does, Paul, what does Peter say? When insulted, I do not want you to insult. I want you to bless instead, hmm. right? First Peter 3, 9. I think as church leadership, we are generous 
we're um, so l let me give you a quick uh, illustration of this real quick. So Bill Hybels was putting on this huge event um, and the uh, I think it was this. I want to say the CEO of Starbucks was going to be a main speaker and he pulled out because of a perceived anti-gay bias on the part of uh, Bill Hybels. Right. Um, so he, and it was a last second pullout, which really was unprofessional because this was a massive conference. Yeah. I will never forget Hybels going, listen, every leader has to make hard decisions. And this gentleman who we invited because we so respect his leadership and insight had to make a hard decision and he made it. Uh, so we're, we're going to have to obviously impromptu. Uh, somebody's going to speak in his place, but just know there's no ill will here. He made a hard decision. He's looking out for his business just as we look out for our church. Mm. Man, that was a gracious, and, yeah. and, and, and I think it was unprofessional, right? I would have been tempted to say that just to get it off my chest. And maybe Bill, he by the way, Bill Hybels could have been totally justified saying that privately. Dude, you can't, you, can't counsel, you can't cancel on us the day of the event. You just can't do that. He can say that privately. I, I think as Christians, we, th there's a generous spirit hmm. about us even with our enemies, even with people that want to do us harm, let alone fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Well, um, my goodness, I think that is a great place to end because uh, I think that is what my heart is, is how can we become more generous at people? And in no way does this compromise truth. In no way does it say that the message of Jesus and the truths of Christianity and the moral things that we're standing for are not important. It's not saying that. They are very important. But how can we still recognize this person as an image bearer of God and speak well of them, you know, not knowing their heart, not knowing a lot of these things, and maybe trying to get to know them and understand them and their perspective a little bit better? Dr. Tim Muehlhoff, thank you for coming on and sharing this with me. And I know this, my goodness, this is a lot of fun. And I will forgive you for the uh, Detroit Red Wings comments and what you have said. But, you know, just know that we made the playoffs. Uh, other teams did not. Whoa, um, <laughs> this is the ending. We were having a moment. A moment. I apologize. See, we Listen, learned this. <laughs> I, I wish nothing but the best to the Colorado Avalanche. Put me in my place. No way. No way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, awesome. Well, hey, I appreciate right. it. This is some wonderful work that you've done. And I and I just thank you for coming on and sharing this with me. I hope there was an encouragement to many as I hear this. Thanks, Ryan. Absolutely. And guys, if you are here, check it out. These two wonderful books. Uh, again, congratulations to the two who won, but the rest of you, you can go pick them up. They are worth the read. Thank you so much for being here. I hope this encourage, this conversation has been encouraging to you. There are many other live streams that are popping up over here that you can check out to learn to grow better at being people of Christians who know what you believe, defend it well, and then faithfully live it out in the culture. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you look on the community tab on YouTube, there's a list of all the interviews coming up. Next week actually is a resource for Bible teachers and having a conversation about how to better teach the Bible in Christian high schools. So if that's of interest to you or someone you know, share it with them and help them be encouraged by that and this conversation as well. Thank you so much. Continue to think deeply about God and Christianity because they are worth thinking about. Bye, everybody. Just you